Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The subtle occult influences of a half hundred concealed watchers. Daly and his subordinates were very much alone and very much in danger. Their last hour had come, and they knew it. With the recognition of the fact they immediately raised their weapons in the resolve to do as much damage as possible before being overpowered. Then suddenly, full in the back, a heavy stream of water knocked them completely off their feet, rolled them over and over on the wet sawdust, and finally jammed them both against the trestle where it held them, kicking and gasping for breath in a choking cataract of water. The pistols flew harmlessly into the air. For an instant the fighting forty stared in paralyzed astonishment. Then a tremendous roar of laughter saluted this easy vanquishment of a formidable enemy. Daly and Baker were pounced upon and captured. There was no resistance. They were too nearly strangled for that. Little Solly and old Vanderhoof turned off the water in the fire hydrant and disconnected the hose they had so effectively employed. "'There, damn you,' said Rollway Charlie, jerking the millman to his feet. "'How do you like too much water, hey?' The unexpected comedy changed the party's mood. It was no longer a question of killing. A number broke into the store and shortly emerged bearing pails of kerosene with which they deluged the slabs on the windward side of the mill. The flames caught the structure instantly. A thousand sparks borne by the offshore breeze fastened like so many stinging insects on the lumber in the yard. It burned as dried balsam thrown on a campfire. The heat of it drove the onlookers far back in the village, where in silence they watched the destruction. From behind locked doors the inhabitants watched with them. The billow of white smoke filled the northern sky. A whirl of gray wood ashes, light as air, floated on and ever on over Superior. The sight of the mill, the squares where the piles of lumber had stood, glowed incandescence over which already a white film was forming. Daly and his men were slapped and cuffed hither and thither at the men's will. Their faces bled, their bodies ached as one bruise. "'That squares us,' said the men. "'If we can't cut this year, neither can you. It's up to you now.' Then, like a destroying horde of locusts, they gutted the office and the store, smashing what they could not carry to the fire. The dwellings and saloons they did not disturb. Finally, about noon, they kicked their two prisoners into the river, and took their way stragglingly back along the right-of-way. "'I surmise we took that town apart some,' remarked Shorty with satisfaction. "'I should rise to remark,' replied Curly. Big Junko said nothing, but his cavernous little animal eyes glowed with satisfaction. 
he had been the first to lay hands on daly he had helped to carry the petroleum he had struck the first match he had even administered the final kick at the boarding-house they found wallace carpenter and hamilton seated on the veranda it was now afternoon the wind had abated somewhat and the sun was struggling with the still flying scuds hello boys said wallace been for a little walk in the woods yes sir replied jack highland we-i'd rather not hear interrupted wallace there's quite a fire over east i suppose you haven't noticed it highland looked gravely eastward sure enough said he better get some grub suggested wallace after the men had gone in he turned to the journalist hamilton he began write all you know about the drive and the break and the rescue but as to the burning of the mill the other held out his hand good said wallace offering his own and that was as far as the famous shingleville raid ever got daly did his best to collect even circumstantial evidence against the participants but in vain he could not even get anyone to say that a single member of the village of carpenter had absented himself from town that morning this might have been from loyalty or it might have been from fear of the vengeance the fighting forty would surely visit on a traitor probably it was a combination of both the fact remains however that daly never knew surely of but one man implicated in the destruction of his plant that man was injun charlie but injun charlie promptly disappeared after an interval tim scherer radway and curly came out again where's the boss asked scherer i don't know tim replied wallace seriously i've looked everywhere he's gone he must have been all cut up i think he went out in the woods to get over it i am not worrying harry has lots of sense he'll come in about dark sure said tim how about the boy's stakes queried radway i hear this is a bad smash for the firm we'll see that the men get their wages all right replied carpenter a little disappointment that such a question should be asked at such a time all right rejoined the contractor we're all going to need our money this summer end of chapter fifty six chapter fifty seven thorpe walked through the silent group of men without seeing them he had no thought for what he had done but for the triumphant discovery he had made in spite of himself this he saw at once as something to glory in and as a duty to be fulfilled it was then about six o'clock in the morning thorpe passed the boarding-house the store and the office to take himself as far as the open little shed that served the primitive town as a railway station there he set the semaphore to flag the eastbound train from duluth at six thirty two the train happening on time he climbed aboard he dropped heavily into his seat and stared straight in front of him until the conductor had spoken to him twice where to mr thorpe he asked the latter gazed at him uncomprehendingly oh mackinaw city he replied at last how are things going up your way inquired the conductor by way of conversation while he made out the payslip good responded thorpe mechanically the act of paying for his fare brought to his consciousness that he had but a little over ten dollars with him he thrust the change back into his pocket and took up his contemplation of nothing the river water dripped slowly from his cork boots to form a pool on the car floor the heavy wool of his short driving trousers steamed in the car's warmth 
his shoulders dried in a little cloud of vapour. He noticed none of these things, but stared ahead, his gaze vacant, the bronze of his face set in the lines of a brown study, his strong, capable hands hanging purposeless between his knees. The ride to Mackinaw City was six hours long, and the train in addition lost some ninety minutes. But in all this distance Thorpe never altered his pose nor his fixed attitude of attention to some inner voice. The car ferry finally landed them on the southern peninsula. Thorpe descended at Mackinaw City to find that the noon train had gone. He ate lunch at the hotel, borrowed a hundred dollars from the agent of Louis Sands, a lumberman of his acquaintance, and seated himself rigidly in the little waiting-room, there to remain until the nine-twenty that night. When the cars were back down from the siding, he boarded the sleeper. In the doorway stood a disapproving colored porter. "'You'll find a smoking cab up forward, sir,' said the latter, firmly barring the way. "'It's generally forward,' answered Thorpe. "'This here's the sleeper,' protested the functionary. "'You pays extry.' "'I am aware of it,' replied Thorpe curtly. "'Give me a lower.' "'Yes, sir,' acquiesced the darky, giving way, but still in doubt. He followed Thorpe curiously, peering into the smoking-room on him from time to time. A little after twelve his patience gave out. The stolid, gloomy man of lower six seemed to intend sitting up all night. "'Your berth is ready, sir,' he delicately suggested. Thorpe arose obediently, walked to lower six, and, without undressing, threw himself on the bed. Afterwards the porter, in conscientious discharge of his duty, looked diligently beneath the seat for boots to polish. Happening to glance up after fruitless search, he discovered the boots still adorning the feet of their owner. "'Well, for the land's sake!' ejaculated the scandalized negro, beating a hasty retreat. He was still more scandalized when the following noon his strange fare brushed by him without bestowing the expected tip. Thorpe descended at Twelfth Street in Chicago without any very clear notion of where he was going. For a moment he faced the long park-like expanse of the lakefront, then turned sharp to his left and picked his way south up the interminable reaches of Michigan Avenue. He did this without any conscious motive, mainly because the reaches seemed interminable, and he proved the need of walking. Block after block he clicked along, the caulks of his boots striking fire from the pavement. Some people stared at him a little curiously. Others merely glanced in his direction, attracted more by the expression of his face than the peculiarity of his dress. At that time rivermen were not an uncommon sight along the river front. After an interval he seemed to have left the smoke and dirt behind. The street became quieter. Boarding-houses and tailors' shops ceased. Here and there appeared a bit of lawn, shrubbery, flowers. The residences established an uptown crescendo of magnificence. 